The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I'm Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Ethan Brown has one simple goal, make meat out of plants. As you might imagine, that's not an easy feat. But as the CEO of Beyond Meat, Ethan is getting pretty close. I recently had the chance to speak with Ethan in the Beyond Meat headquarters in El Segundo, California, and learn more about how his company is revolutionizing the future of protein. Ethan started his career in alternative energy, but soon realized that if he wanted to help people minimize their impact on the environment, he would be much more effective focusing on food. That's because industrial animal agriculture is at the heart of our current environmental crisis. So making a sustainable, tasty alternative to meat that everyone would enjoy could change the game completely. In our conversation, Ethan shares details about how close his company is to creating a product that perfectly mimics the taste, texture, smell, and experience of meat. He also talks about the unique challenges and innovations that come with pioneering the plant-based protein space, and what they are doing to ensure that their products are not only as close to the real thing as possible, but made with the highest quality and most healthy ingredients they can find. Ethan has made a steadfast decision not to use GMOs or other controversial ingredients that competitors use in order to keep Beyond Meat's products as clean and recognizable as possible. As you'll hear in this conversation, he is incredibly driven and hopes to help his team become the group that completely transforms the food system. To hear more about how he plans to do that, listen in. I'm here with Ethan Brown at the Beyond Meat headquarters. Uh, Ethan, thanks for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thank you very much for having us. Appreciate it. Um, so your true north is to make plants, sorry, make meat from plants. Yes. Um, how close are you to achieving that goal? That's a great question. And, and um, you know, what's a, a really fortunate thing for us is that um, we do have such a clear true north. You know, so many consumer products or oh, how do we make this taste slightly better, try to, to get consumers to, to like what we're doing. But in our case, we have a blueprint that's been left uh, for us by evolution and, and the, the structure of the animal and the taste of the animal uh, as, as, uh, as it's being prepared for the consumer. Um, and so, uh, you know, we focus every year on trying to get closer and closer to that. And, you know, I wouldn't say that we're anywhere close yet. I mean, I think we um, are, have done a better job uh, over the last several years of getting the product to uh, really provide this consumer with a sensory experience that's that's very similar to meat and to provide them the nutritional profile that's in fact superior to meat in many ways. Um, but is it a one-for-one one, um, replacement yet? No, it's not. Um, and I would say we need several more years to do it. Now, the good news is we've been at this for about nine years and you know, evolution's been at it for a lot, lot longer. And so 
the idea that you can take a um, the building blocks of meat, you know, can take the, the protein, the fat, and the water from non-animal sources, and you can, you know, study the architecture of meat and then assemble those uh, those components in the exact same structure. Uh, that idea is very clear to us. It's something that's achievable, and we will get there. And what do you think of the big uh, barriers you're facing now? Because you said you've been at this for nine years. Uh, you probably have a better understanding of plant proteins and what is possible and not possible with them. What's that, um, the delta between now and where you need to be? Sure. So I think something really interesting is happening. Um, you know, as you get closer to the goal, it just becomes harder, right? Because you sort of knock down all the, the low-hanging fruit. You, you've taken care of that. Um, and then it's how do you get that final distance? And that final distance becomes, uh, the challenges become harder. Uh, and so I think we're we're now facing uh, some of those challenges, whether it's the, you know, the, 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 the taste or the texture, um, where we're trying to collapse the differences. At a very sort of blunt or, or uh, kind of rudimentary level, I'd say we're uh, very, very close to animal protein. But as you really get in and look at it from a more sophisticated perspective, there are some gaps. And so some of the areas that, that we're working on um, that I find the most interesting around flavor, for example, you know, there are thousands of molecules that make meat taste and have the aroma uh, of meat. And uh, the game for us is to identify which of those molecules are the main drivers, right? And then to try to uh, find either the same or analogous ones in plants and assemble them in the same structure so that when the uh, piece of meat that we create is going from a, a raw or fresh state to a cooked and consumed state, the same things are happening from a molecular level in terms of the change uh, that gives off the taste and gives off the aroma. Um, as you start to fine tune it, that becomes harder and harder. So today when you walk into, when I came into my house last night, my wife was cooking um, some of our burgers for my son and the house smelled like meat, you know, mm -hmm. it was giving off, but it didn't smell exactly like beef. It was very close. And so for us then, what's the, what's the, what are the steps we need to take to make sure it smells exactly like it, right? Um, and so that's one example of as you get closer and closer to your goal, you have to get more and more refined um, and it becomes a little more nuanced. I think another is around texture. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we look at is, you know, how, uh, how, how, how much heterogeneity is there in the bite for the consumer? You know, is it too similar as they bite through our piece of meat uh, and is there not enough variation in it? And so we, we are constantly looking for ways to build in more structure so that the composition um, from a nutritional perspective is not only rivaling what's or even exceeding what's in, in animal protein, but the experience when you bite into it uh, is almost exactly the same. And so that's things like, you know, there are tendons that are in meat. There's, mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's pockets of fat. It's not like a cake mix. It's not all blended in, right? It's, 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 this was a biological uh, living, breathing animal. And so um, we need to make sure that we're not too homogeneous in the bite, that we have heterogeneity in it, and that's another big challenge for us. I think the last one that I'm most focused on, um, and there are many, uh, is really color transition. You know, we made a very conscious decision to, to not use um, uh, the process of genetically modifying plants to produce heme. A uh, competitor of ours is doing that, and that is a good way to have color transition. Um, but we had concerns on several fronts about that. Um, and so we are continuing to look at um, ways to, to utilize natural ingredients that allow us to have a transition from a, a, a very red state to, to a black and gray state once it's been, been cooked. And so I'd say those are some of the areas we're most focused on. You know, I find interesting about you is since the beginning, you've been very um, 
almost too transparent about how much you didn't like your current <laughs> products. Uh, so you almost, you say, this is this is our new product, but we wait till you try the next version, Absolutely. which I've always, I think every time I've met you, that's most often the first thing you say is that <laughs> we wait till the next version that comes out, um, which uh, I think goes back to the fact that you have a very clear goal, which makes things easy, but also makes things sort of... Uh, frustrating because you seem further and further away from that goal yeah. um which which seems almost impossible to reach but uh yeah. you're getting there yeah uh in your so you've been doing this for nine years i know you personally don't eat meat from animals right um are you the best judge of your products well what i do i do do is i do i'll bite and you know chew and i'll spit it out it's sort of strange but that's what i do <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm very familiar with with uh, the taste and texture uh, uh, of meat. And I, I also think that meat is a lot like riding a bicycle. Like you kind of know it when, you know, mm. once you learn it, it's hard to lose it. And so, um, you know, it's really hardwired into who we are. I mean, I do believe that as much as I, uh, you know, am driven by some of the um, the broader social and, and ethical concerns around this, I'm not one to argue that we weren't meant to eat meat. You know, mm. I, I do believe that that's, you know, how our bodies evolved and, and um and so the question for me for the future is, is you know, can we get uh, a seamless transition going where we go from animal meat to plant-based meat? And I'm absolutely certain that'll happen. I mean, it, it's a, it's the level of conviction there is extremely strong. Um, and so you know, I don't want to be overly critical of my products. I think they're great. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I you know, just like anybody, I see more probably than anybody else where the flaws are. And so mm -hmm. we're always trying to extinguish those and, and collapse them. And, and we do that in the public eye in the sense that we'd like to put out new products every year. And so we're going to do a, a surprise at the end of this year, which can be really fun, which I, I can tell you offline. Um, uh, that's just going to be a little test thing we're doing. But because um, uh, we get so much feedback from the consumer. So, you know, the mm -hmm. consumer told us many years ago that they don't want to have more soy in their diet. So mm -hmm. we switched away from soy. Um, you know, uh, my dad uh, has celiac uh, and, and many people don't want to have so much wheat in their diet. So we kept wheat out of our, our, our products. I feel that engaging with the consumer uh, on almost a daily basis helps you to build better products. And so we don't hide for five years and then come out with something. Every year we come out better. And part of that is then recognizing that it's not going to be perfect. Right. And in terms of you mentioned, um, I do want to pick up on one of the points that you brought up uh, about your choice of ingredients, um, especially when it comes to color transition. Um, is that something that you've always wanted to focus on from the beginning where uh, – well, it may take you longer. You may not exactly get what you want in the short run, but yep. you um, you don't want to compromise in that front. Can you tell me? It's a extremely bit more on that? it's extremely important, and it gets also back to our original relationship with food. Um, you know, we I think are conditioned to avoid things that aren't familiar to us because you know ultimately they could kill us, right? When when you know outside of the the culture that we have today, just through our evolution, that that was obviously a pretty important mandate to, to not just indiscriminately eat new ingredients. And so I think that we do look with skepticism uh, to to novel ingredients um, when someone's asking us to consume them every day. If it's something that's kind of every once in a while, fine. But to to be the first family that experiments with um, you know new foods and, and has their children eat them growing up, you know that's a tough thing to ask a mom and a dad. So you see that our you know you tend to see people being very conservative in their food choices and trying to eat things that they believe that we've eaten over time. And so it is important to me that our ingredients are as clear and, and um, as familiar as possible. So, for example, the, the, the agents that we use to, to, to keep the, the red appearance at the beginning of the burger's um, uh, consumer experience is just beet juice. And that was very gratifying to be able to do that. We're looking at things that are extracts from various teas and things of that nature to help blacken and gray it, right? Mm -hmm. So 
to the extent that we can use the amazing resources of the plant kingdom to reassemble meat without the animal, we're going to do it. Got it. Okay. And so you started this journey, um, what I look at as sort of an ultra marathon journey yeah, to achieve this, uh, this goal. And I'm pretty sure when you were getting started in the starting line, you were aware that you would have to learn how to run this ultra marathon as you started, as the mile went, miles went by. So in other words, you knew you had a steep learning curve ahead of you. Mm -hmm. Looking back now, I think um, it's been eight years. Yeah. Um, you've what, what lessons do you think you've learned um, both from a product standpoint as well as um, just um, being an entrepreneur in a space that you didn't have much of a background in before you got started? Sure. Um, I think there's a lot there. I mean, I, um, I think one to do something like we're doing, you have to be a little bit obsessive. You know, you, you have to, um, be able to, for better or worse to, to, um, to block out a lot of distraction and to, 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 to be willing to try to understand a problem better than anybody else. And that, that to me is really important that before you start focusing on solution, uh, Try really to understand the problem. Try to wear it. Try to try to, to be with it every day, and you know, not just in the office, but you know, at home and and when you're out running or whatever. Keep it in your brain. And let your brain work on it. Just keep working on it. Keep working on it. And that, I think, is something that that I would encourage entrepreneurs to do. Because otherwise, you're often just following the herd. People say, "Well, this is a solution. Go do it." Well, maybe they're not thinking about the problem, right? And so, for me, I was looking at this and saying, you know, how do we get people to stop using animals for meat? for all the reasons we talk about, all the health mm -hmm. and environmental and, and et cetera. And uh, it's certainly not through trying to convince them that what they're doing is wrong. Because how do you convince someone who's been, you know, for generations consuming meat and look back at our ancestors? So maybe you think more about what meat is and think about just rebuilding meat so that the consumer can continue to eat what they love. And that's really what our company does. We view ourselves as being in the business of, of allowing people or enabling people rather to eat what they love. And more of it. My son has more burgers rather than less, you know, mm -hmm. because I'm not concerned about cholesterol and all these other things that, that I might be otherwise if it were animal protein. Um, and so the focus on the problem, try to know it better than anybody else, uh, is really, really important. I think then some of the more standard things I would agree with, surround yourself with great people. Mm. You know, don't try to do it yourself. Um, I have such a great team here. There's people from all kinds of industry. And you know, we, our, our scientific team is, is probably, in my view, the best in the world in the sense that, you know, they're, they're coming from all over the world. They're, you know, the head of our science um, division here is Iranian. You know, the, our, our lead scientist on our board of directors is from Germany. You know, we've got folks from uh, all over Latin America and, um, you know, uh, Asia. You know, it's, it's a pretty diverse group of, of researchers working on this. Um, so surround yourself with great people. Um, do something that you're absolutely uh, – that uh, is so central to who you are that you're comfortable calling it a calling. You know, to, to be called to do something is a very powerful feeling. And, and if you can figure out a way to, to align that with your survival and subsistence, mm -hmm. it's a really powerful thing to do. So those are the type of things that, that I would I would look at, um, you know, if I were advising an entrepreneur. Yeah. And in terms of if you look back, would you say you've made some mistakes um, <laughs> yeah. from a product standpoint? Yes. Um, yeah, and what would those be um, if you're open to if, oh, sure. if you're OK with talking about sure. it? Sure. I mean, I made a ton of mistakes for sure. Um, uh, but I think, again, when you surround yourself with really good people, one, you minimize the mistakes, and two, they kind of carry you through them. So I got a board of directors that are really terrific, and they've, <clears throat> they've, they've helped me navigate some of those things. When we have made mistakes, they've, they've been you know, um, constructive about it. 
uh, and I think hopefully that's how I manage my team here, uh, is that, you know, that whole Silicon Valley thing about making mistakes. It's true though. That one is true. You know, if you're not making mistakes, you're not moving quick enough. You know, you've got to be willing to, uh, be imperfect, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, but on a product level that can hurt, you know, I mean, we, I would say that the products that are in the market today from our early <clears throat> innovation, you know, um, the chicken strips and the beef crumble, they're good, but they could be better. And, and we're making them, I think they're the best in the market, so don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. But uh, we want to make them better and better and better. And so I wouldn't say it's a mistake, but mm-hmm. it's something you have to live with. Like we put those out at the state of the art for us as a company, right? And then we have to go back now and improve upon them. Um, so, uh, you know, that that kind of um, willingness to, to be who you are in the market, uh, I think it's been helpful. Um, other mistakes with partnerships and things like that, we made them, you know, production partnerships that didn't work out, things like that. And you just, you know, you work through them. You know, it's... it's um, acknowledge them uh, and uh, you know you move on but you don't doubt yourself you just keep going yeah I think you like with like some other companies in uh, in the food industry especially in the natural or plant-based types of foods have faced a unique challenge where the demand is too high and you've got to yeah, scale right. and production is a huge issue and I know you've had some challenges on that front in the last few years but I think um, to what extent is your mindset of uh, sort of very technology-oriented mindset of constantly improving. Very proud of the product you put out, but being clear that that's, that's not where it ends. Yeah. Is, how much is that, or maybe it's all of it, how much is that because you want to drive your research team to yeah. keep thinking of new things? Yeah. Uh, how much is that just you having a very high bar to meeting any goal? And will you yeah. ever reach that goal yeah, is, yeah. A, is another question. Well, I, I, that's a great question. And I, I think you know, at a very high and sort of macro level, if, if you think about this and look out here, this team and the team we have in our facilities and which are great and our research team, you know, if you think about them as a group of people who were able to separate meat from animals, mm-hmm. that would be an amazing thing over time. Like if you could be that group of people, um, that would be unprecedented in terms of, you know, human history. And so, why not hold yourself to that really high standard? You know, we don't want to be like Kraft. We don't want to be like Kellogg where we put out something that, you know, is pretty good and it satisfies that one pesky eater at the table, but it's not transformational in terms of doing away with the need to use an animal to create a piece of meat. And so if that's your goal, then you have to be harsh and you have to be willing to reject and reject and reject uh, or not be satisfied, right? Uh, because that's that's sort of only way you'll get there, right? And so if you look around this room, you know, I have some pretty... I don't put up like, you know, accolades and put up things that people have said that are critical of us because I want that to be something that drives me. And um, it does. I mean, uh, um, I think it's that part of just being unrelentless about it. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's very easy once you're immersed in this food industry trying to work on such a problem and you get the kind of positive press that you have gotten um, in the last few years, as well as the growth that you've experienced, is to assume that this, you're on your way and, uh, and you're succeeding. And I can give you my perspective as a, as a consumer of, uh, of your products and telling people I know who are thinking of cutting down on meat. And I just had a friend recently ask me, uh, I want to cut down on meat. What products would you recommend? And uh, I recommended the, the Beyond Burger. And his Thank first you. question was, but I'm worried about my kids. I've, they'll get enough. They need protein. Yeah, thank you. Which <laughs> is a terrible yeah. question, but yeah. uh, it was a question yeah. that yeah, people have. So, yes, absolutely. Um, so, so it's one of the reasons we use all these athletes. And, and so I could barely sleep. I think it was like Thursday night or Friday night. My, uh, my son sent me, he was 13, he sent me a text that, that uh, had a picture of um, Kyrie Irving, plays mm-hmm. for the Celtics now, used to play for the Cavs, mm-hmm. saying he's going plant-based. 
know, I was like, holy moly, this is happening, you know? And yeah. like, so, so if these elite athletes are willing to do this and they see the benefit in terms of inflammation and, you know, performance and all that, then my God, we've got to get, you know, mainstream Americans to, to make this change. And, you know, the better the products are, the quicker they do it. That's mm -hmm. what, that's one really interesting thing I found is that we can spend all this money on marketing, you know, hype and everything else, um, which we don't, we don't actually do a lot of that um, in terms of marketing uh, spend, but incremental improvements in the product do everything for us. They welcome in hundreds of thousands more people. Mm -hmm. You know, you make the product slightly better, you just get more and more people on board. And yeah. That, that's really cool. And also, you know, the distribution partnerships and getting it in places where people can buy it, yeah. um, which yeah. get, gets me nice segue to my next question, which is, I'm sure you had some clear list of goals you had for the first uh, five to 10 years of this company. Looking back now, um, how many of those, oh, at least the top three of those, do you think you've um, you've managed to achieve so far? Right, that's a good question. I mean, so, some I haven't, and some I have, and uh, I think the the one that I think is maybe the most important is to build a culture and a company that doesn't think about this as a food problem, but thinks about it as a global problem, and that is willing to spend and attract the resources uh, and talent. Uh, as if this is something that's among the most urgent things in the world. And so, you know, down the street, I've talked about this, but we have this thing called the Manhattan Beach uh, Project. Um, and, yeah, I really wanted to call that one, which is sort of funny because we're near Manhattan Beach, but second because, you know, the, the, what happened in the near Chicago in the Second World War and just the, the, the ability to bring together some of the most talented scientists in the world for an issue that was pressing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this was an arms race, right? And so... Today, what's most pressing in my view is climate and, 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 and the human health epidemics we have. And, and depending on where you sit in the area, that, that just the massive amount of suffering that's going on in the agricultural supply chain. And I find those to be urgent. And so to bring together a group of people that's willing to look at that as an urgent problem and to come into work every day to try to solve it is very uh, motivating. And um, I think it's, it's an important way to look at it. And so certainly I think we've accomplished that as a company. And I think maybe that's one of the things that separates us so much you look at how much is being spent on alternative energy, and it's almost mm -hmm. like, you know, you get you go you get a good, good degree from a school or whatever, and you go right into alternative energy. You don't think about it, right? Like, well, that's what. But maybe if you thought a little about what's really driving all of these issues from an environmental perspective, if you, that's your point of motivation, and if you're interested in human health, if that's your point of motivation, you have to focus on the center of the plate protein, mm -hmm. and that's what I'm hoping more and more entrepreneurs will do. Right. And, you know, in terms of specific, uh, I think that's definitely something that comes across in your brand, so to speak, that uh, you, you're not afraid to talk about the reasons why you do this. In fact, that's front and center of most conversations. Um, and of course, you back it up with an amazing product, which helps. You. So you aren't just, um, you aren't just preaching about the why, right. <laughs> you know, you can deliver on it. Um, I Looking from an outsider's perspective, looking at what the company, we've obviously been following what you've been doing since the beginning, uh, it seemed like you had some goals, and correct me if I'm wrong on these ones, but you had some simple and clear goals that were sort of unconventional when I first heard about it. Was one, you wanted to sell your products in the meat <laughs> yeah. Um And the other, um, related but not really, was you wanted to work with... Um, uh, people in the meat industry. Yes. Um, can we talk a little bit more about the drivers of both of them sure. um, and where you are in terms of those goals and, yeah. and where it's headed? So the meat industry one, the meat, sorry, the meat aisle one was really interesting. Um, we had to be there. You know, that's the main stage. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if we're going to be 
something other than a substitute. If we're going to be the a new type of meat that consumers feel very comfortable consuming, we have to be in the part of the store where they make that decision, right? And so to get out of that penalty box of the meat alternative case, to get into the main stage, uh, was an enormous goal for us and one that we focused on for years. And we were told no for, for many years uh, because um, I think the consumer wasn't ready. I don't think our products were ready. Um, but, you know, we did our part. We, 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 we said, okay, we'll go back to the drawing board. We'll keep working, keep working, keep working. And we, and we got something, I think, that when we were around and, and tested it to, to meat buyers across the country at, at, at various grocers, they were all blown away. So we're like, okay, now it's starting to make sense to them. Yes, I can produce a piece of meat from plants. You know, it's a lot easier. It's a lot more efficient. And consumers are going to like it. So they put us in the meat case. So that was a big deal. The, the issue about working with the meat industry has been more controversial than I would have liked. I mean, I think we got a lot of consumers that were our early adopters that were upset about it. And, you know, I understood that. Uh, and I, I read I, I read for a day or so. I read their comments. And I just stopped reading them because it was you know, bad stuff. Like, you, know, you got blood all over your hands and things like that. And I didn't like that. But I understood where they were coming from. And, um, you know, I think it just gets back to, to, to being honest about who we are as people. Um, you know, it's not us versus them. Um, you know, we all have, you know, dear family members that just think differently than us, you know, and, and, um, the media industry would not exist if the consumer didn't want it. Right. And so, so, um, I think that when we have conversations with some of the largest meat companies in the world, uh, we all come back to that. What does the consumer want? You know, and so work like you're doing and, and many others are helping to open the consumer's mind to 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 eating plant-based meat. And meat companies, they're companies, they're firms that are there to make money. And so as long as we get the consumer to come along, they're going to come too. Their goal is to produce protein. I don't think they want to be having all these videos made and leaked and the horrific things happening in their facilities. I mean, who would? Yeah. So if we can work with them to provide a better alternative, why wouldn't we want to do that? There's not time. I've never been, you know, sort of the turtleneck wearing, dart throwing, you know, <laughs> sort of critic on the side. I just don't believe that's uh, productive. And I think there are a lot of good people on both sides of the aisle on this question. And, and uh, if we can work together, why waste time fighting? And were there any um, sort of potential deal breakers when you were in discussions and negotiations with uh, Tyson that you were not willing to take on um, as part of this partnership? Um, where would you draw the line in the sand? Or were they, you know, they got what you were doing? It was really a question of... Um, how that could be arranged from a financial standpoint yeah, I more think than we, the product. Well, there, there, were, there were negotiations around what we could and could not say and stuff, mm -hmm. and we were very adamant about um, you know, staying true to, to our authenticity, and they were very respectful of that. You know? And so I don't think that there was a, um, an issue there. Um, there's been other instances where you know, I have been maybe more hardcore than I should have been about the brand, but, but things like you know, <clears throat> there was companies that wanted to do lasagna dishes with us and they wanted to use dairy with it and i said no you know and stuff like that and so and that i think i got a lot of people sort of raised eyebrows like are you just being too strident mm -hmm. you know um and so so there's been there have been issues like that um that have that have come up but again i think it's a it's a um for i think the right reasons we've both sort of stayed away from the things that that may create controversy among us because i think mm -hmm. there's just a shared goal why bother yeah you know? yeah and it's it's interesting to see that they are the, and I say meat industry like a, as if you can make a sweeping statement about all of them in the industry. Mm -hmm. But for most part, I've seen they've been quicker to 
to re- recognize that their their industry is facing a bit of a crisis at the moment. I mean, they're still profit; they're, they're sure. making tons of money. Yeah, no, yeah. That's not the problem, but they see that this is um, unsustainable from a financial standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Um, technology that they're basing their products on, yeah. and uh, whether it is the undercover investigation videos, or if you even look at just as you scale up these industries and you're trying to feed the world and they're all global companies and are trying to to get their products everywhere they're going to have resource constraints as much as everyone else on this planet is in in a few years down the line so i see that seeing the meat industry as an early adopter or at least embracing this as long as their goal isn't to um crush this little effort and (laughs) produce more animal protein um and i don't i don't think we're on the right path yeah i i really i mean so I, i can i tell you a story without telling you who sent me this email but so i was speaking at a conference last week with the wall street journal and a woman stood up and said some pretty negative stuff about what we're doing you know mm-hmm. she was from a big uh kind of uh, livestock background and there was one of the i think the largest uh, meat producer in their particular category was in the audience and and uh the guy sent me a, 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 an email a very encouraging email, like, you know, it, just about how uh, it's often the people that refuse to see the change that's coming that, you know, suffer the most, et cetera, and that he, he tried to, he's always trying to instill in his team that you should look for what's next, you know, and, and all these things. Anyway, it was a very positive email, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, come, from who that is coming from? That's an amazing sign of hope. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think it's, you know, as long as you're not getting ideological about it, which I think is a big mistake, yeah, you know, uh, I think you can you can really work with almost anybody on it. Yeah, and again, if you stay focused on your goal, which is you're creating meat from plants, yeah, and that's your goal, and your goal is to get that into as many plates, as many homes, as many restaurants as possible. Exactly. Let's strip away everything else from it. What people choose to do with that meat, yeah. leave that at least up to them, and let yeah. someone else tackle that problem. You know what you just said about stripping away. I mean, that's a big thing for me. Is is um, I've talked a lot about here within the company and within the, the teams here that. You know, we can't serve too many masters. Like, we have one goal, and mm-hmm. that's it. You know, and so we can't get ourselves. People want to say, you know, use organic ingredients. You know, other people say, you know, conversely, you know, make this super cheap, super quick. You know, uh, our goal is, is one thing, is to make a perfect piece of meat from plants. And uh, and there's beauty in that simplicity. So getting to, uh, you're getting back to your products, and, you know, someone in your team was very kind to bring yeah. some Beyond Burgers in here. Which, <laughs> I can see them sitting there, yeah. Um, which is very distracting while I'm trying to have a conversation. But um, I'll save that for later. But talking about your products, um, what are you, um, you, of course, the Beyond Burger is the most, the recent product that you launched. Um, Is the Beast Burger no no longer out there? And what is on the market, what's in, in the market right now and what can we expect to see? Sure. So, so yeah, we, we, um, what you what you can expect to see on the around the Beyond Burger, for example, is that it'll get better every year. You know what we're having today, I hope will make obsolete in a couple of years. Um, so we're, we're going to release a new version next year and subsequent to that, et cetera. Um, we're also looking at at our existing products, including the Beast Burger, and making changes to that based on what we know today. And so, in fact, that'll be coming out pretty soon, um, an updated Beast Burger. So um, I'm excited about that. Um, and then, yeah, looking at the other species. I mean, we're looking into we're doing a lot of work in in, in pork and and um, uh, uh, looking at also other arrangements uh, for ground beef. You know, whether it's the the um, the loaf uh, or steak itself. Um, you know, looking at bacon. So we're looking at the gamut of of, of animal uh, products and and um, 
we, we try to approach it with a lot of discipline. Like what, what's the, what's, what are the, what are the areas that consumers pulling away from first? And clearly red meat is the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're looking very heavily at that. Um, but, uh, Sky's the limit. I mean, there's a lot of meat products out there. And as we understand better and better uh, the composition of meat and the architecture of meat, um, it gets easier for us to, to, to get into other categories. Yeah, this may be a bit of a technical question to the extent I even understand this myself. But um, the way I look at what you're doing over here, you're looking at meat and what it's made of and how you can create the same thing using plants at a, at a very high level. That's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But as you go deeper into the research on that, and what if you do find out, well, this can be created with plants, but it requires this sort of plant protein. Are, are you facing another challenge where, you know, most plant proteins are not mass-produced? I mean, yeah, pea I protein is, is mass-produced, but what about the other proteins? What if you find the right thing, but no one's making it? Do, what do you do then? I absolutely love that question. I mean, I, I, honestly, it's almost like you just read my mind. I mean, I, over the weekend, I was having a long conversation with a board member of mine about that. And... It, to me, it's fascinating what's going on. So I had a map up the other day of slaughterhouses in the United States, and then I had a map up of milling houses in the United States. Mm. And I tried to pull up a map up of protein separation houses. <laughs> it's like nothing, <laughs> you know? There's Well, there's like Soleil, and there's, there's ADM as a couple, and then, and then uh, European companies are active, some in Canada. But, but it's nothing like, you know, the mm. footprint of a slaughterhouse or of a milling house or something like that in terms of its geographic distribution. Um, and the truth is that there's nothing special about peas. I love peas. They're great. Mm-hmm. But then there's nothing special about soy. I mean, there's a good soy has a, a very, very strong profile in amino acids, but, but they were scaled up for other things. You know, soy obviously was scaled up for soybean meal, for animal feed, et cetera. And then isolates later. And then you look at, um, you know, peas, peas were scaled up for their starch primarily, and then protein derivative, et cetera. And so what if you started first principles and said, okay, I'm going to start using the plant kingdom for direct protein. You know, instead of running it through an animal, I'm just going to take it directly from the plants. And it opens up this amazing set of resources for you. Mm-hmm. So you can be pulling protein, I've talked about this before, but like from, you know, some of my favorites are lupin, which they're starting to use in in Europe. Um, but, you know, camelina in Canada, uh, rapeseed, um, you know, all, all of these different uh, feedstocks, mustard seed, you know, tobacco leaves have good mm-hmm. protein in them. And that's amazing to me. Uh, you know, cottonseed. Um, so that you, you can look at, you know, oats, barley, uh, all of these different feedstocks, but the challenge is we don't have separation facilities for them. Mm-hmm. So if you think about an agricultural system where we no longer, you know, devote 80% of our arable land to, to feeding livestock, but we start to plant direct protein for human consumption, you need those separation facilities. You need them proximate to the farmers. And I think it also emerges, an amazing story will emerge where, you know, okay, well that, that piece of meat is made from you know, lentil protein. Or that piece of meat is made from fava bean protein. And then how about getting to know the farmer that grew that? You know, I mean, it, then it starts to get really interesting. And so when I go to the supermarket and I go to the meat case, I can pull proteins from from all different kinds of feedstocks or I can blend them, right? Mm-hmm. So I can go get a sausage one day that has a bit of barley protein, a bit of fava bean protein in it. It'll have an amazing amino acid profile. Uh, and, and it'll also help, obviously, on pricing. It'll dramatically cut down the cost of our most expensive ingredient in terms of weight, which is protein. Um, and I think it'll open up the consumer. I, mean, I think the one thing in food that is universally true is that, you know, everything in moderation. Mm. I don't think that people are going to want to transition to plant-based meat that is dominated by one feedstock. You know, they're not going to want peas masquerading as chicken, then pork, yeah. you know, then beef, you know. 
they're going to want a diversity of protein. And I think we can open it up for them. And that's going to be really exciting. Mm. And also, you know, if you have one of them dominating, you then open up, you then, then you create competition just Absolutely. for that. And people get into it just because they know they can make money. And, and how about how about just geographic uh, diversity? Right, you know, like, exactly. Like, like some things grow better in some places than mm -hmm. others. And so for me, if I'm thinking about the American farmer, um, and I'm reading this, this great book, I don't think I brought it with me, but it's about the basically the origin of a lot of the agricultural policies we have, the policies we have today, and that was really during sort of Hoover and um, uh, the Great Depression mm -hmm. um, and, and trying to stabilize the commodity markets. And, and they've, But they've lasted. You mm. know, these things have persisted. And so we have this agricultural system, which is wildly inefficient and heavily subsidized, as everybody knows. Um, but if the farmer, if you ask the farmer a simple question, would you rather grow protein mm. as a commodity for animals or would you rather grow it as, a, as, a, uh, as an ingredient for humans? they're going to make more money in the second part of that question. And yeah. so uh, I'm really optimistic about that. Right. Excited. And that's, you know, in some ways for you to succeed at this goal, yeah. uh, you have to become this, you have to be a big company. Yeah. You yeah. have to, yeah. you have to be global and you have to reach a point where you can, um, you know, you may identify a new plant protein and then tomorrow you have the resources to go be, in. It'd be beautiful. I, I really want yeah. to do that. I mean, that, that's part of, I have so much energy around that because I also think it, 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 it attacks a problem that some consumers have with our products, which they feel that they're processed. And mm -hmm. I couldn't disagree more with that. You know, I think it's, if you look at, <clears throat> not that they're not processed, but if you look at the, what the alternative is, mm. you know, so, so, we're all starting with the same thing, which is plant-based feedstocks. We're running them through a hyper-clean system. You know, we separate our supplier separates the protein from from the fiber in the in the legume, uh, basically through changing the pH levels of water. So it's very simple. Then we run it through heating, cooling, and pressure. You know, if you've ever seen or understood how diamonds made, it's essentially you know heating and pressure. It then it presents itself to the consumer in a fibrous texture like muscle versus an animal uh, versus versus the way it would present in, in plant protein. So Contrast that with you know raising an animal, you know the antibiotics, you know in many cases hormones, um, you know the the artificial uh, environment with you know, the growing lights and, and, and all of these things, uh, the slaughterhouse, everything that makes its way into the meat when it's slaughtered, mm -hmm. you know all these things. So it's which process do you want? Mm. You know unless you're going to go just grab an apple off a tree, you're going to be dealing with some level of process when it comes to protein. Which one do you want? Yeah, and you know, can I play devil's advocate a bit on this uh, sure. issue of uh, of processed foods? Um, how do you deal with uh, criticism around not so much about the processing of the pea protein itself, but more around, um, say, the use of oils? Yeah. Um, you know, what if you know what if canola oil becomes the next white Good. sugar, right? And uh, everyone's in a rush to take that product out of every food that you can find. Yeah. Because suddenly the science is clear on that. Yeah. How are you prepared for that? And what do you say to people now who say, well, your product has um, yeah. um, sunflower canola. oil and yeah. canola oil? Yeah. In it. Um, so that's a great question. Uh, part of what makes meat meat is fat, for better or worse. I mean, we could create a piece of meat that is extraordinarily lean, and I think almost, you know, very few people would buy it. Um, so... Uh, you know, if we talk about, if we're true to our mission of building a piece of meat direct from plants, you know, it's literally amino acids and lipids. So you can't forget about the fat part, right? And so it's, can you put the healthiest fats you possibly can? Can you put them in at levels that are, um, that are responsible? You know, I mean, we could make this burger and be incredibly juicy and just dripping off your chin. Uh, but we never want to exceed, 
uh, fat levels that are that are found in, in animal protein. And we we obviously can't use cholesterol. That's the one thing kind of that we mm-hmm. that wouldn't wouldn't put it anyway. But you can't really. There's not cholesterol in the plant kingdom, right? So um, you know, if a consumer complained about that, uh, we would talk about maybe we could switch, you know, to a sunflower seed, for example, uh, oil. But to take oil out of our products altogether, I think would be hard to do. Right. So it's a question of um, of finding the right source and the right balance and yeah. the right balance yeah. between um, you objectives. Know. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because you know, but you, at the end of the day, you're never going to replace eating. Uh, if you're comparing meat with this, of course, you you yeah. tend to win on a health standpoint. But yeah. it depends what you're comparing it to at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, and, and maybe maybe what we end up seeing is is just like you go in the store today and you have 80, 20, 90, 10. Yeah. Maybe you have 95, 5. And for those consumers that don't want uh, any oils used, then they can go toward uh, those products. And I, I should also say one other thing, that I've made the, the life of our scientists here uh, very difficult in the sense that we do create boundaries for them. We do have guardrails. You can't do this. You can't do that, right? GMOs, stuff like that. So it does make it harder. That said, they are working every day on um, using natural ingredients that provide many of the sensory experiences of, of, of fat but aren't actually fat, right? Yeah. And so uh, that may also be a way through this. Yeah, but it's always, on get, I'm sure the bigger challenges you do face is it's then the cost versus the yeah. efficiency, yeah. Ma- the ability to scale that again. Yep. Uh, you know, you may find the most perfect plant-based fat source yep. <laughs> that you need to go um, right. hunt, you know, trawling the oceans for for some reason. Well, I think one thing that's been interesting to watch competitors is, is um, you know, uh, it's very easy to fall in love with technology and its elegance and mm-hmm. forget about the consumer. And we don't do that here. I mean, we, we, the consumer is in our face all the time because that's where we want them, you know? And so, um, we don't use, for example, heme, you know, we don't use him. Uh, uh, we don't use things that may be better scaled up in the pharmaceutical setting than in the food industry, you know? And, and so we talked about my background, but, Coming out of fuel cells, I was very wary of getting involved in any projects that I couldn't see the commercialization timeline. Because mm-hmm. um, that happened with fuel cells. We, we, we had an elegant solution, um, but we couldn't get the cost of a precious metal catalyst down. Um, and it really hurt the commercialization of that technology. Now, it'll commercialize, and you'll be driving a fuel cell car someday. But when that happens, I can't predict. And is that part of the reason why you chose to go down the plant-based route versus even consider um, cellular agriculture? 100%. Yeah, there's two reasons. One was that, and two was the, the basic idea that I was concerned about how the consumer would behave about that, how they would react to it. Um, so uh, that kind of gets to the point of, you know, does the, the elegance of the technology blindfold you to mm-hmm. the consumer reality? Yeah, I remember talking to um, Vishal Vashisht from uh, Obvious Ventures, I think about two years ago, yeah. um, are, they're investors. Yeah, in, um, they've been right. great. And uh, he, we were talking about, you know, the, the say a scenario 10, 15 years down the line when um, a company like Beyond Meat has sort of is on its path to success and growth. Yeah. Um, we are, you're going to have to face them. And I'm sure you're already starting to face these challenges, which is you're a growing company. You've got these products out there. You've got partnerships with with burger chains and you're in every grocery store, nearly every grocery store in the country and hopefully globally soon, um, then it's a question, you're going to have to face those questions of where do you cut corners, where do you draw the line, where are the boundaries really? And do we end up with a new problem of uh, you now have this better form of meat that is using technology 
um, in a way that we've done traditionally, say, in the in the snack food industry to just create salt, fat, yeah. taste, and uh, <laughs> yeah. mostly junk. <clears throat> yeah. um, and how do we prevent that from happening? And I think we've kind of, at that point, we were like, it's too early. We'll cross yeah. that bridge. Well, I we could tell you though, how, how we do it here. I mean, yeah. it's, it's um, I think probably other than maybe some very, very hardcore consumers, um, the people that eat the most of the products we make here are my own children, you know? Um, and so I'm very careful and mm-hmm. I always will be. I mean, I, I, you know, human health is a huge driver for what we're doing and it would sicken me to think that, that we're offering something that's not healthy. And I think also, here's the thing. We have an obligation because people already think that plant-based meat is going to be healthier. So we can't play around with that. Yeah. You know, we, we, it has to be. And if it's not, if you're loading up with saturated fat or you're putting in ingredients that the FDA is not comfortable with, you're not doing yourself or the consumer any favors. Like, be true to your overall mission, which is to not only you know improve the environment, but let's 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 take care of the people who are eating the product. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to lose, you know, if as long as you have, you know, you're sitting in a room where you have these yeah. amazing posters up, which kind Thanks. of remind anyone who walks in here why is it that you do what you do. Um, it's as the competition. Um, gets, um, you know, as new companies come about, as there's more competition, as uh, other companies are doing things slightly differently from you, mm-hmm. um, and um, there's a race to now meet this this obvious demand for this food, mm-hmm. um, those questions are going to become more important. Those boundaries are going to become more important. Mm-hmm. And um, it, what we the decisions we make now, I think, are going to pave the way for whether we head down that uh, uh, the same mistakes that we made in the past with um, big food in this country, yes. especially, uh, versus hope a chance to do it the right way right. Um, and learn from some of the mistakes that we've made. Because, um, you know, at the end of the day, th- these are businesses and you're trying to succeed and you're trying to yep. make an impact. Yep. And the, you ca- I think the impact and the success you are not, you know, uh, they don't, they're not... Um, at, at odds with each other. In fact, right. you need to succeed to make an impact. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's a blessing to be in a business that that's that's a possibility. That the better you do, you mm-hmm. know, and then the more people you reach, obviously, the better the business does, but also the more good you do, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I. So as we sort of wind down this conversation and get to, I, I do want to touch your touch on some of the things that I've heard you say in the past, and we've even talked about a little bit in the past, is. One of the key decisions you had to make before making the leap as an entrepreneur in the food space was for you to recognize what your true self was and what you were here to do. Um, It's something I think most people who tend to have idealistic tendencies struggle with. Mm -hmm. I have personally in the Mm -hmm. past thinking, well, I really want to do that, but I don't want to be perceived to be that person, whatever that is. Um, So I really want to be, you know, I was, I used to be a lawyer. I worked in the media industry. I was had a fairly successful career, and I liked how people saw me. Yes. Uh, and then I said, "Well, but I, I have to I feel like I have this calling. I want to use media to do, yeah. to spread uh, food sustainability and good ideas around that, and focus right. on this new and emerging industry." But you know, most people who heard that were like, <laughs> "Oh, so you're, oh, so you're doing this vegan thing now," <laughs> and and that was something I had to get over. And I know that you've had your own version of that in a much. I have, and, and just listening to you say that, my reaction is, thank God you did it. You know, I mean, just thank God. It, it's, um, you know, life is so precious, and and to go around living yours based on, you know, the perceptions of others is such a, just a horrible waste, and it took me a long time to understand that. You know, it took me a really long time, and, and it wasn't, you know, there's no sort of, um, both things, I mean, both 
choices I made in my careers have been fine. I mean, one was to go into alternative energy. It wasn't like I was working, you know, for, I don't know, whatever. But, you know, uh, um, they were, you know, that was, a, I think, a, a worthy cause. But it fit me more in terms of how I felt others around me might perceive my worth. You know, um, like I, I felt that I'd gone to you know, a certain type of schooling and studied a certain type of thing. And this is kind of what I would be expected to go do. And the alternative seemed sort of strange, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that, that, you know, how would this guy that has no experience in the food business and, and, um, and you know, and also just, you know, I, I, I still had friends that were, you know, oh, Ethan's gone off and started a tofu factory in the woods type of thing, you know, and, and uh, I didn't like that, you know, and because and, I, I took myself serious, you know, yeah. seriously. And, and so, um, but I, over time, it's where that calling you know, um, word comes in, it just became too strong. You know, I just had to, had to go do something different. And, you know, if you, if you think about, like, sometimes I take a step back and, and I think maybe because I'm dealing with my kids a lot on these subjects because they're now 12 and 13. But if you look at like our span as a species from, you know, that the sort of early days about 2 million years ago, you know, going through Homo habilis and, and, and into, into all the different Homo, different variations to we can homo sapiens. Um, the institutions we have today, like all of the cultural expectations we have today, you know, they're all a nanosecond. Like, so why not just go be who you want to be? You know, like, I mean, so you went to Harvard, you didn't find who really cares, <laughs> you know, like, like go do your thing, Yeah. you know? And, uh, and I think if you take a step back and think maybe at a different time scale that you're just placed on this earth. It's such a short amount of time. Um, you know, what they say about you on social media maybe doesn't really even matter. You know, what, what they say about you, uh, in the newspaper, who really cares? Like you're here. If you understand your calling, go do it. And sort of, you know, everyone else can, you know, be all right with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you've got to have that conviction though. You've got to have that. Um, and so how do you know when you are, you know, sort of clear on what you want versus you're wrong. How do you right. draw that balance? You still have to, you know, you can you can have a passion. You can want to save the world. Mm-hmm. You can want to uh, end uh, factory farming or, right. you know, largely replace it with plant meat. But in the past, you know, look, drawing from the, at least the past eight years, since you've been down this journey now where you're, you're mm-hmm. doing what you're meant to do, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think hopefully the most of the world thinks that. Um, when do you know that you've you've you're you're, you're losing touch? Yeah, <laughs> that that's a really good question. You may be wrong in something, and yeah. it, you know, partly it may be the advisors you surround yourself with. And I saw right. Seth here. Yeah, he's, uh, he's terrific. Yeah. Um, from honest, yeah, formerly of honesty, yeah, or still in honesty. Yeah, he's, he's, he's half and half. Yeah, no, but he's I, his half and half is like different from most people. <laughs> he's, he's pretty hardcore. Um, so uh, that's a good question. I mean, when do you sort of veer and not realize it? And that's a good question. I don't know the answer to. I mean, I um, I do think surrounding yourself with people that, that hold you true to what you're trying to do is, is really the right thing. And I, again, like it'd be easy for me to say because, you know, they've invested a lot of money with me, but I'm really fortunate to have the board I have. I mean, mm-hmm. there's guys on there that are just amazing. And, um, and you know, they, they don't. They're not shrinking, you know. They're not wallflowers. They're they challenge you on things, and so I think surrounding yourself with people that are that are are going to challenge your ideas is a really healthy way to stay true. Yeah, and I think we're very early on in this 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 story of Beyond Meat yeah. and what you're about to achieve. Um, and um, one last question before I get to my, well, I guess this is the second last question, but this will be a brief one. Um, 
what keeps you up at night? Right. Um, uh, my pig Wilbur, because he's <laughs> <laughs> he's always like freaking moving around at night. Oh, so he lives uh, with you? Yeah, he lives in our house. I thought he was yeah. in the office. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, he, he's gotten so big; it's hard to bring him in the office. Right. Um, uh, but no. But in a serious note, um, so uh, you know, I I think I've been given such an opportunity to do this. I want this group of people who work so hard to do it. So mm-hmm. I am a competitive person in that regard. Uh, so I do worry about about those things. Um, I worry that somehow, um, and I don't see how this would happen, but my greatest fear for the company maybe is that someday someone will say, you guys have gotten close enough. Mm. You know, that's a big worry of mine, you know, that, that somehow, I don't know, just that, that financial pressure will require that or something. But, you know, we really want to build a piece of meat perfectly from plants. Like I, that's, and then we're not there yet. You know, I joke with the, the scientists here, there's a lifetime employment project. Because, you know, it, it, it it's going to take a long time. But I'd say we're 80% of the way there maybe, and that yeah. last 20% is a long journey, and it's going to take time. And I want to make sure that, that however we end this, we, we do it in a way that um, that we continue to have the, the resources and c- continue to have um, the level of intensity to get this right exactly. Yeah, but I love the, you know, going back maybe to my first question, I love the simplicity of your goal. Yeah, uh, It makes it easy for to bring anyone on board and saying well this is the problem you're going to solve and if you succeed at it you know this is the kind of impact you can have it's in great. this nanosecond of a life that you yeah. have <laughs> and, and the cool thing i mean one of the things i love about sports is the simplicity of that goal mm-hmm. like you get a group of men and women together uh in the beginning of a season and you say we're going to try to win the championship yeah. so that's pretty much it yeah you know it's like we're not going to do this or that we're, that's it and so you look at these great teams and it often comes down to that. That's like they, they obviously have to have talent and stuff, but it's that myopic focus on something, and it's that that, that unrelentless focus mm-hmm. on it. And I think if you had to describe our research team and our our, our mentality here, there that word uh, unrelenting comes comes to mind. Uh, we don't want to stop until it's perfect. Yeah. So if you are successful, or rather, when you are successful, Thank you. <laughs> um, what kind of world do you foresee in twenty fifty? Uh, more specifically the food system. Oh God, I have a a very clear vision on that in the sense that you'll be able to go to the meat case that, that, you know, the, 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 it'll, it'll be dominated by all the meat that, that everyone loves today. You know, it's pork, uh, poultry, beef, but those will be coming from plants. Um, and that it won't be coming from a few feedstocks. It'll be coming from literally, you know, dozens, maybe hundreds, you know, of, of different types of, 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 uh, plant inputs. Um, and that, you know, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, those rates will be much, much lower. Um, you know, the, the amount of land we need to use for agriculture will be smaller. Um, you know, climate, uh, uh will have been, uh, better stabilized. Um, and, uh, you know, this system of sending, you know, hundreds of uh, well, billions of animals uh, a year, I think that's a hundred billion or something a year, slaughtered, uh, will be viewed as something that was an unfortunate, um, path we had to pass through to get to where we are. Ethan Brown, thank you so much sure. for being on this podcast, and uh, thank you for um, welcoming welcome, welcoming us into your headquarters. Sure. Uh, I'm, uh, I can't speak because I, I can't wait to eat the beyond burger. Now. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, thanks great. a lot. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nils Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization, 
develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.